0: Welcome to this conversation between Stephen Grubben, the CEO and founder of CoachPro, and me, Warren Hammond. Here's a quick snippet of what to expect.
1: Is change can be an absolutely fantastic and essential thing. If you change the right things for the right reasons in the right way. And then you've got psychological changes of changing your mindset. Changing your approach to things, you know, changing maybe your approach to take more ownership of your future as opposed to being a passenger in someone else's journey. Those kind of changes you can all, you it's within your gift to affect, you know, and that then has a big benefit on being able to create the relationships that you want, the options and choices that you want. You can change that at any time. It's within your gift. As we've looked at the three boxes before, you can go into the denial that it's happening, you can hide away and pretend that it doesn't affect you, or you can put it into that fight it box and resist it and try and come up with alternatives to it and put a lot of energy into that. Or you can go into that optimal box where you're going to use it and say, well, how can I channel this? How can I see this as an opportunity? What things does this then create? What can I now do because of this change rather than in spite of it or pretend it's not happening.
0: Welcome, podcasts, to episode 19, Change. Big topic, Change. A yeah, bit a good one, especially in these crazy times where everyone's talking about the pace of change, the scale of change, is change permanent? So it's about a good time to talk about it. Important notes. To think about when we're going into this is that change is a continuous state that we're in and I think Stephen makes it clear that we're either in charge of this or it's going to happen to us we're either actively changing or someone's actively trying to change us and there is no static point so change is a constant and therefore it's important to understand this And once there's an understanding of it, we can start to manage it and start to use it for our own benefits. So that's the big topic really, is what is change? Why it's important that we acknowledge it and develop strategies on handling it. There's also important points on how to make change happen in your own lives, in those of your friends, family, your teams at work. It's a formula for getting yeah getting over the resistance to change so lots of good stuff let's get straight into it i'll be back at the end with some quick thoughts and a quick summary of what we've heard so far but enjoy it here comes the cheesy music today's topic is change and change is change is massive and change feels a little bit like one of these Double-edged swords, I think. You know, like sometimes you need to have change, change is progress, change is good, change is like the mini brother of disruption, you know, a change is all good. But then at the same time, we also know that change can be a bad thing, is something that everyone's scared of. So not, not not necessarily which one is it, you know, is it the is it the evil one or the good one? So let's discuss what change is then. And then is change good or bad or not will probably not be the question that we'll come to. But let's first of all understand then, when you describe change, what do you say about it? How would you describe it to people? Well, change is a thing. Neither wholesale a good thing or a
1: bad thing. It's it's a thing. And depending on what you change, why you change, and then importantly, how you change things, will determine whether it changes it for the better or not, or change it for the worse or not, or really just change for change's sake. So there's, in itself is neither good nor bad, it's, it's the what you change, it's the why you change things, and importantly then, the how you
0: choose to change things. Because change just happens, is not it? I mean, regardless, nothing stays the same. So is there an appreciation that, as you just said then, there's it's what you change and why you change it, but it will change and either you do it or somebody else does it. Is that?
1: Well, there's a cause and effect with change. You can either cause the change and decide, right, I'm having something else or I'm doing something else or I'm going to be something else. And you can make that change and that will have an effect on others. Sometimes you're on the receiving end of someone else making a change, so they've caused that and that affects you. And other times you're just sleepwalking into change where you don't really notice the change. It hasn't really affected you, but you realise you now just do something differently than you did before. And there was no conscious point of realising you were going through change. So change is is a thing that, I mean, there's a lot of connotations of the word change. You know, people will talk about disruption, as you've mentioned, or transformation or disruption personally, professionally, emotionally. A lot of people will say, I just wish things wouldn't change so much. Mm. In other situations, you're desperate for them to change for anything. any t- Something's got to be better than this. So there's a whole load of connotations with the word change. Some people assume change means improvement. That's not always the case. Sometimes change is just for change's sake, because it's a mm. refresh of what you've already got. But even that refresh might have value. Um, so there's a whole load of things with change. But what I would say to people about change is change can be an absolutely fantastic and essential thing. If you change the right things for the right reasons
0: in the right way. OK, you're right about the connotations. there. I mean, some people proudly display themselves as being a change agent. It sometimes feels like it's... Um... You know, it's another way of describing yourself as being a bit of a pain in the ass. You know, it's like, oh, no, I'm not really difficult to work with. I'm a change agent. I say stuff you don't want to hear necessarily, but change doesn't need to be a bad thing that like you just said, does it? I guess it. you can change things for the better all the time. I guess that's what you should be aiming to do.
1: Well, this is the, especially for you, how you decide to make changes, you know, the what you choose to change and importantly, the reasons why you're making that change. And then the how, so the how, the where, the when, with whom, in what order, all those things become important. And then on the receiving end of changes, sometimes understanding what that change really is, why it's occurring, and how it can then be done. So it's it's not something to fear,
0: mm-hmm. but it's something to specify. Okay, so we discussed then a little bit of being what, change might be or what it isn't or what it could be or what it feels like what's a good description to start with what does change when I think of what change is what should I be thinking about what should I be feeling what should I how should I describe it well if we look at the changes that we want to make then we'll be looking at and what areas we want to make
1: those changes and yes there'll be a cause and effect but what is the actual change you want to make so you might make personal changes that might be, you know, changing the the house you live in to the partner you have, to the clothes you wear, the hairstyle you've got, uh, the car you drive, where you go on vacation when you're allowed to travel, the job you've got, um, what you do in your spare time, you know, what type of parent you want to be, what type of brother or sister you want to be. All those things, personal changes. And it's within your gift to make those changes. So you really don't have to settle for anything personally that you feel is no longer working for you. And important to understand they're no longer working for you because it might have worked for you before. But maybe it just needs that refresh. You've then got the personal changes. That might be your job, your career, your status, the position that you put your job in your life. Because sometimes that will change. Sometimes you'll have that as the most important thing. And other times you'll have it as that supportive thing that provides for the things that have now become more important. And sometimes then you'll swing back to it's then all about your job again. That can change professionally. Then you've got your emotional changes, how you feel about people, things, um, experiences can change. And you might want to change that either to care more or sometimes to care a little bit less. And then you've got psychological changes of changing your mindset, changing your approach to things, you know, changing maybe your approach to take more ownership of your future as opposed to being a passenger in someone else's journey. Those kind of changes you can all, you've, it's within your gift to affect. You know, and that then has a big benefit on being able to create the relationships that you want, the options and choices that you want. You can change that at any time. It's within your gift. Yes. But for sure with change, if you miss the opportunity or choose not to make those changes, the likelihood is that someone else or something will make those changes
0: for you. Yeah. As always, you know, there seems to be so many different links, but as, you, as you're describing it, it becomes quite clear that if you choose a different future, if you have a purpose, if you have a vision, even if you have a simple goal, that's going to require change unless your goal is remain exactly the same as, as things are today in every element of my life. But even that, as you said, disregards the fact that things will happen to you as well. So change will happen to you um, or you will change it. But if you dream of a better, different, simpler, harder, more complicated anything, whether that's you said anything from a hairstyle to a lifestyle, change needs to be something you have in your toolbox as a, as a strategy, as a plan.
1: Well, it's, it's something that's in your toolbox already. It just depends on whether you get it out and use it or whether you leave it at the bottom of the toolbox and, and forget that it's there and while everyone else is using it. It's important. You've got that choice. Yes. You might prefer to wait um, and wait to see what the changes are, and then you're going to have to respond to those changes, which will probably mean you having to adjust, which is a minor form of change. So the the change in some ways is unavoidable. You know, it's not a room that you step into. It's the room that you're already in. Yeah. So it's about dealing with that and positioning change as something that can work for you rather than being really good at managing how change happens to you.
0: Yeah. So change is a continuous thing. So you've got to... So this is about acknowledging that it's happening and as part of that, acknowledging it's happening... That's part of the process that we'll go through then about how you can make it work for you or make it work better for you. But it is going to happen anyway. It is happening around you. Maybe you're not seeing it, but it's going on. Yeah,
1: look, you can, as we've looked at the three boxes before, you can go into the denial that it's happening. You can hide yeah. away and pretend that it doesn't affect you. Or you can put it into that fight it box and resist it and try and come up with alternatives to it and put all of energy into that. Or you can go into that optimal box where you're going to use it and say, well, how can I channel this? How can I see this as an opportunity? What things does this then create? What can I now do because of this change rather than in spite of it or pretend it's not
0: happening? Yeah, that's good. Knowing change is coming, how do you use that to your advantage? That makes loads of sense. Okay. So understanding that change is happening, is a starting point understanding therefore that this is going on this allows me to take some more control over those elements then so that's that's important i think also it's important then how you're explaining it is this isn't hasn't got a discrete beginning and end change is always going to be coming um so be ready for it choose it lean into it i guess is that is that part of the reason this is important Yeah, I mean, it's it's a bit
1: like breathing. When you accept that you're going to have to breathe in and breathe out, you then stop fighting with the natural urge to breathe in and then breathe out. Change is a thing to accept. And once you accept that it does occur and it does happen, then you can look to deal with it, improve it, adjust to it, respond to it, direct it, channel it, but it happens. And this is a now thing, probably more important than ever before. We've always dealt with change throughout, you know, history. Things have had to change and the importance of change. Probably never more so important than it is right now because of the volume of changes and the changes that are happening that then affect and create a whole load of other changes. And that kind of worry and concern, are we ever going to get back to some kind of normal? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the some kind of normal has now changed. This is... the the, the current normal we're in and that normal will change. And the great thing about change is that you know, nothing bad is going to last forever. You can also look at the side of nothing good is going to last forever because that's also going to change. But when you realise that nothing bad, no matter how bad it is, is going to last
0: forever. That's quite optimistic. Find me something I saw the other day is someone saying, I don't want to go back to the old normal because I finally got used to the new normal. And then the other thing is So, obviously, because I knew we were talking about change. And the thing, the quote that jumps into my mind is the Darwin one. Yeah, it's not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent. It is the one most adaptable to change. And I thought, yeah, this is good. You know, you see this on posters and in meetings a lot. But actually, listening to you talking about it, this feels still quite reactive. You know, it's adjusting adjusting to change. Actually, how you're describing it, I think this is about, the generating the change, the owning the change, the making the change happen, not necessarily being adaptable to the change that's happening to you. I'm sure that's not what he meant. I'm sure it's, it's probably taken out of some sort of context. He's talking probably environmental changes and things. But when I think of that quote now, it's actually, yeah, it's a little reactive. It's actually, I want to be more on the front foot. I want to be more, you know, I don't want to be rocked on my heels and dealing with what's happening to me. I actually want to own what's going to happen next a little bit more. Yeah,
1: and and that quote has always been to emphasise the the essential nature of accepting change. And if we accept it, then you can start to say, well, if I'm accepting it, what can I then do with it? Got you? As I say, nothing bad lasts forever, nothing good lasts forever. It's a continual process of evolution and and change. And if I think of one of the most important relationships um, that I have is with my two sons, and there's been moments where it's just been magical. And you would love to just stop the clock. <laughs> yeah. at that age, not just the age they were at, but the age relationship where they are, because they're only two years apart. Three and five, there's quite a big difference. Six and eight, not such a big difference. And then it changes as they go on. Yeah. Um, and there's some moments you would just you just want to stop the clock. It's magical. You want to cut, you want it to be like this forever. And it can't be. And then there's also some traumatic times uh, when those two years feel like decades, and and they're five thousand miles away and all this kind of stuff, and there's and you want to take it back to a happier place, and you can, but you've also got to know that difficult stage isn't going to last. That's also going to change. So when you have that, then you have more of that mindfulness in the moment. You know, you're on the pitch in the game you can affect things or you can just try and deal with how it's affecting you and there will be sways of that. But you are in the game. It's not to be a victim of change, uh, but yeah. more of a an owner and shaper of change. When you can get on the front foot, when you get the opportunities to do that, that's leadership. Yeah. When you're dealing with all the changes happen to you, that's management. And there is times to manage your
0: life and times to lead in your life. Yes. Both involve change. And then as you're sort of saying that, it makes me think that sometimes there are things you cannot change. You you won't be able to affect the change, but it's understanding that. And again, the old uh, serenity prayer is that that's okay. Or, you know, um, I was thinking Stephen Griven, but it's not it's Stephen Covey, the other Stephen. But, you know, his circle of influence and concern, and it's kind of that as well. But as long as you're looking and ready for when you can be the change agent that you can affect the change, then you're ready, aren't you? When an opportunity comes up that you can, you know, you're ready, you're good to go. Let's make this happen. Okay. And you've always got choice. And as soon as you hand over
1: that choice, then you will be a victim to it. And even if you're not in the position of what you can control and what you can't control, what you can control is your response to the things that you're not in control over. And that might mean an adjustment or, an ach- or a change in your approach.
0: Uh, But you've got something. You've always got something. Yes, it's clear. As people, but and as businesses as well, as you said, I mean, the speed of change within businesses, maybe every professional generation feels like this, but it feels like more and more and more change is part of our ongoing strategies for success within businesses. You know, nothing's allowed to stay the same, everything has to keep moving. And I'm saying maybe every generation feels like this, but it does feel that at the moment, Never before has there been so many programs being invented and strategies invented to help make change happen through an organization. Yeah,
1: and look, when companies talk about a culture of change and, and when they then have to launch a transformation program, that's just a public admission. They haven't been changing as much as they should have been doing uh,
0: on an ongoing basis. Now it requires transformation. Ah, uh, That's kind cool, Yeah, a bit like a crash diet. If you've been looking after yourself for a year, then you wouldn't need to crash (laughs) that. You know, transformation's a purge. It's because you weren't doing
1: enough on an ongoing basis. And and this is where change doesn't have to be painful. But if you've not been to the gym for a while and you're trying to do something or you've not trained for a a race and you're going to run, there's pain coming, a lot of pain coming because you didn't spread the pain over every day. You avoided the pain for a period of time. Now you've got big pain. So, and that's a, and as long as you're aware of that choice, then you're making that choice. Uh, but that's where you having this acceptance of change as your friend, change as your companion. I can work with this on an ongoing basis, then you'll embrace those opportunities to make those small adjustments that can have a big impact.
0: That's a good one. That actually helps explain. These stats I see floating around for large transformation, as you say, or purges is quite a nice way, but projects, you know, all of these huge, big projects that people talk about, um, you know, their success rate is, you know, one in three or something like this of actually working. And these are the set goals. But it sort of makes sense if you think about when you're doing anything crash or speedy. You know there is a certain amount of success that happens, but it's really hard to keep and generate that all the way, isn't it? But what you, you know that pain was always going to be there, but you either spread it out or you do it in 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 that month. And, and look, change is still for some seen as an event, something you get through, something you
1: complete, rather than it being a continual process of improvement through change. You know, and it depends on whether your your view and businesses have this a lot. Their view on change seems to be about a wedding day rather than a marriage. You know, we'll get through this transformation, we'll get through this change, and then we'll lock it all down for the next five or 10 years and then have to go through another reorganization, another transformation. Change is a more fluid thing when it's best applied. And it's a mindset, first of all. It's a mindset of appreciating and valuing change and what it can do then your thinking goes looking for those opportunities, You'll have strategies for that, and it'll improve your performance. Because if you want your performance to go from one level to another, whether it's an individual or a business, you're looking to change that level of performance. So change is there. It's your companion and it's your friend, or you can put it as that monster in the wardrobe that you hope never appears.
0: Yeah. But it's there. That's good. I think that idea of it being this continuous presence and that you can try and ignore it and, and have this, you know, let's get all of it out once a, a month or once a year or once every five years, whatever it is. That makes total sense that you're asking for an, an awful experience, aren't you? Or a one-off experience and, and the changes won't lock in. That makes sense. If you really want to take ownership, if you really want to shape a future, if you
1: really want to help influence the futures of the people around about you, this is a now thing. And the great thing is, this is something you've been doing all your life. It's something you already know how to do, but it's something that is now required to do it more consistently and more structured so that you can have a consistent appreciation and reward, rewards and returns from change.
0: Yeah, I get that. It's a bit like when you discuss emotional management, it was, this is something that you've already been doing, you didn't, didn't, you, know, you just didn't name it properly yet. Yeah. This is something that you've in the past would have done a really good job on and other times not such a good job on. Yeah. Now's the time to, yeah, to to build. But you've
1: or, been, you've been build
0: living on. with us
1: all your life. You've been making yes. decisions on this, sometimes not conscious decisions, which means you, you're maybe not taking the credit for them and the confidence from them, but you've been living with change all your life and you're going to continue to live with change all your life.
0: Okay. This is an important, this is for me who wants to, to be happier, more successful, more in control, more positive, or just drive towards whatever outcome or future or goal I've chosen. Change is part of that, isn't it? I mean, that it makes sense. It kind of feels kind of crazy to think that you won't be able to get to a different place without change. I mean, and if you're going to change your future, it's going to mean changing. Your approach or how you do things—I um, mean, that just makes total sense. Is you know, I mean, it's almost sounds too obvious to say it out loud, but sometimes you need to say these the obvious out loud. If you want a different future, you need to change how you're doing things today.
1: Is that and, and even in the world we're living in, Warren, now with the complexity that we're all having to deal with, even to protect the same future, you're going to have to change. Even to protect the same results you're going to have to change. If you still want to be the parent that you are today in the next five or 10 years, you're going to have to redefine that relationship to still be the same parent in five or 10 years. You're going to have to move with it. So it's not just about ensuring that you always change who you are, where you want to get to, even to protect where you are and where you want to get to. You're going to have to change.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's good, isn't it? So this isn't even... Yeah, because you, none of us are in isolation, you know, physically, emotionally. Okay, so I get it. I got to change. How am I going to change? So what gets in the way? So that's it. So I get it now. I know I need to change. I know change needs to be something I embrace every day, do my best to own as much of this as possible. So knowing that I've been living with this my whole life, why, what stops me? What stops me embracing, embracing this in the, in the right way? Well, not just me, everyone.
1: Yeah. And look, we, we can look at this in terms of self-improvement, which you and I have been talking about, and we can say, well, why don't I do it? Where's my areas of weakness? Where's the gaps? Where's the things I need to improve upon? Change is a really, really good example of self-development rather than self-improvement. self development's about looking at what you're really good at doing and applying that in a way so that those gaps are no longer as challenging. So if we look at the question of all the times you will have changed, all the times you will have created change, and by understanding that, then we'll understand what bits we need to build upon to be able to change in those situations or circumstances that we haven't yet. And it boils down to three things that... People have over you'll have overcome your resistance to change on, and those three elements need to be amplified together. Okay, well, this this will allow you to understand for all the changes that you've already been making in your life, from houses to cars to jobs to relationships to cities to hairstyles to clothes to vacations to the pub you drink in the restaurant that you eat in. All of those things, the TV shows that you watch, everything that you have at some point changed. You will have done three things. You'll have three elements to it. That first element is dissatisfaction. At some point, you have decided, I'm no longer happy enough with this. This is no longer enough. This is not something I like anymore.
0: This is not something I want to continue with. Is this how you... Normally, when you say dissatisfaction, you always link it with healthy dissatisfaction.
1: Yeah, well, well, we'll get to the difference between the two types of dissatisfaction because there are two types, quite rightly. But first of all, it's that dissatisfaction. It's okay. dissatisfaction is the engine for overcoming your resistance to change. Because if you're not dissatisfied, you're just going to sit there, kind of slightly disappointed, slightly frustrated, slightly unhappy, but kind of sleepwalking into that continual situation. Yes. It's enough dissatisfaction that you're saying that's enough. I'm just not happy, just not satisfied. This just doesn't, and for me, this isn't good enough. First element is that dissatisfaction. Yep. That dissatisfaction then needs to be combined with a vision. Yep. So that it's not just change for change's sake or anything's got to be better than this. It's having a clear, compelling vision. What ideally do you want to get to? What is your ideal fitness, weight, image, house, car, relationship, business, sales figure? What is what you're aiming for? Yes. That excites you, that is compelling enough to you, that would make you want to change to get there? Something meaningful. What would make you happier? What would happiness look like? What would great relationships look like? What would feeling you're making a real difference and have a purpose look like? So you've got that dissatisfaction. It's combined with that vision. And then the third element is taking those first steps, doing something about it. They don't have to be big, but they do need to be clear that you're actually taking some steps. You've done something. Yeah. And if you've got that D times V times F, so dissatisfaction times a vision times first steps, yeah. if those three bits combined are greater than the resistance you've got to that change you have changed but when those three things fall short you will not have changed so for anybody who's moved house at some point they became dissatisfied enough with the house they're currently in yeah they've imagined what a better house would look like in terms of maybe size location age value whatever and then they went and did something about it They started to go online and searching. Started reaching out to mortgage brokers and estate agents and all that kind of stuff. And if those three things combined were
0: greater than the resistance, they moved house. That's good. Right. So that first step is that start of progress. Then. So you don't. It's not necessarily even having a tangible point of change. It's the fact that you've just even just started moving towards it you know you've bought the right book you know you set up the right meetings you've got the right people in a room that type of stuff just sort of thinking of different examples but so often you know you can sit there mumbling and grumbling in a personal professional way about how things are I get that but then sometimes you don't have a compelling vision you know you just like, I wish things weren't the way they are which isn't strong is what you're saying It this needs to be more positive Shiny and bright and clouds and stars and moonshots and all this sort of stuff but then yes and then just doing something just getting a move on just not letting this remain a pipe dream in a way is Mm. this and that's it okay and the thing is if you take the dissatisfaction
1: there are some people who are just really good at that bit they're just really dissatisfied i i know a lot of people like that sometimes it's been me (laughs) <laughs> when all they are is dissatisfied. They have no vision for what better would look like and they're not really up for doing anything about it but they really want to tell you all the things they're not happy about and they're massive on dissatisfaction but because there's a lack of vision and lack of commitment to do something it never changes Yeah. and they're the moaners and sometimes I am and sometimes I definitely have been a moaner and I certainly know loads of people you know it's I don't know if it's a trait in the part of the world I come from but you know, if we hadn't become a tennis nation, I think if there was an Olympics for the morning, but we'd be right up there. We're really good at that stuff, really good at that driver of dissatisfaction. I would argue it's why there's more inventions come out of our nation than most other nations because there's been that drive for change because we're really good at dissatisfaction. But if all <laughs> you've got is dissatisfaction, you're a moaner. Yeah. If you've got all the dissatisfaction, And you know what better would look like. You've got a clear idea of where you'd want to get to. yeah. But you're not yet doing anything about it. You've went from being a moaner to a procrastinator. So you're dissatisfied enough. You can see in your mind exactly where you want to get to. But you're waiting for the lighter nights, the darker nights, the weather to get better, the election, the budget, the kids to go into school, the kids to come out of school, looking for the next quarter to make the decision. There's always something that keeps moving on and on and on and the procrastinate. I'm old enough to remember when there was the, the, the millennium, Y2K and all that, when everything was supposed to come to a halt. And I can remember, and everyone's saying, oh, the big promises into a new century, I'm going to be doing this and that, this is going to change, this is going to change. And then Tuesday became April, became October. <laughs> yeah. So that, that satisfaction and vision must be then connected to those first steps. So you've got moaners, You've got procrastinators. You've also got busy fools who are just up for doing anything but have no dissatisfaction and no real vision. We were selling a house in Kent years ago and there was a family who flew from another country to come and view our house. They stayed in a lovely hotel for the whole weekend and they came to see, and we thought, they must be keen. Yeah, so exactly. we're baking bread and all sorts of stuff <laughs> <laughs> to do everything to say, this is going to be great. It wasn't the easiest time to be selling a house. And this has been <laughs> two hours going around telling us how beautiful the house was. So I'm thinking, this is this is going so well. I said, So if you sold your own house? Oh, well, no, we, we, we love our house. That's our family house. That's where we see the children growing up and away from and then coming back to. So, oh, well, is this a, a second home for you? Oh, no, no, we couldn't afford a second home like this, but you've got a beautiful house. They had no dissatisfaction with their own place. They had, they could not visualize themselves living in our house, but they were really good. They had organized with state agents to get flights and hotels and everything else, but nothing was going to change.
0: Yeah, I, I recognize all three of these at different times, and sometimes during the same day about certain different topics, you know, there are certain things which actually I, I'm fine to be, I say my dissatisfaction isn't enough to generate, you know, to for me to get to the next stage. It's just a a, a, a nice gentle moaning in the background, you know, mm-hmm. like a, like a sort of an engine of a speedboat you know, going on. <laughs> and then you're right. There are those other things which, oh, I'd love to do that one. Oh, that, yeah. But I know that that vision isn't really there. I, it, again, it's almost, um, yeah, something fun to fun to look at. And I do know, I mean, the, the proliferation of post-it notes around the house, sometimes I feel there's that sort of a bit of my busy fullness coming out. It's just, you know, just, just keep busy sometimes without a really strong purpose or end in mind. Because at least I'm doing something. Yeah.
1: You know and and we take comfort in that, but nothing's going to change. And look, not everything needs to change, but don't fall short in any of those three and then complain that nothing's changing. Yeah. If you really want to make the changes, it takes those three things. And what you've got to bear in mind is the variable is the level of resistance. There are some things where your resistance to the change is going to be absolutely minimal, almost undistinguishable. And therefore, you don't need a great deal of dissatisfaction and vision, and you don't need to do much to make the changes happen. And you make tens of changes on a daily or weekly basis on that, because your resistance is so low, you're not even recognising the change. But there's going to be some things where your resistance gets higher, because it's maybe challenging things that you believed in, or challenging things that you're comfortable with, or you're not so confident in and that's where you're really going to require such a level of dissatisfaction clarity of a vision and clarity and commitment to those first steps and this is what takes you to that level
0: of healthy dissatisfaction one way of breaking this out then is so you've got the dissatisfaction vision and first steps on one side which you want to get as big as possible and then you've got the resistance to change on the other side which you want as small as possible or you need this one to be big you know bigger than that one so when you break this out is this about how do you increase your level of dissatisfaction how do you make the vision more compelling how do you make the first step more clear or is it about reducing the resistance to change which
1: and that's a really important distinction most people if they think you're not changing enough what they will do is criticize your level of resistance to that change okay Right, your resistance to that change is your resistance to that change, except whatever you focus on will expand. The more you focus on that resistance, the more you'll justify and rationalize that, or you'll feel that you're somehow failing because you're resisting, because maybe you fear it, or maybe there's a whole lot of resistance reasons. Your resistance is your resistance. Yeah, You're entitled to that. But if you want to overcome that resistance, this is knowing that the dissatisfaction is big enough, the vision is clear enough, and your commitment is enough to those first steps relative to the size of that resistance.
0: That's good. I'm thinking of saying this, if somebody needs to you know, stop smoking, for example, when people say, what do you mean you can't give up?
1: Yeah, what we do is we project onto other people our level of resistance to a particular thing. So if we're not too precious or we don't have an ingrained habit on something, we think, what's the problem? Why are you finding this so difficult? Yet other things that we hold more precious or are more attached to, we will look at someone and say, don't give that up so easy. Yeah. Because our resistance is higher. Everyone's resistance is their own level of resistance. It's not right
0: to be projecting onto other people, I'm okay with this, so you're okay with it. So how does that work in organizations then? Because organizations are, you know, they're not necessarily um, an organism, but there is that feeling that some companies are able to change more nimbly, more agilely than others. I mean, I'm guessing then this is because of the, the healthy dissatisfaction, the vision and the ability to do first steps rather than Certain businesses have less resistance to change than others because I'm guessing this is just a people or a culture. I mean, yeah, look in businesses,
1: and, and businesses are great to look at in terms of this. And this is where you see a difference. It's why startups tend to be more agile, they're, they're apparently more agile. They've just got less resistance to change because they don't have really much to protect at that point. So they're kind of open to anything. You know, you yeah. then go into a media company that's been around for a century who's made all their money out of print, who now needs to move to a more digital model. And you've got all the people who are on the digital side, low resistance to change of going digital first. But you've got all the traditional people who've worked in the papers for 30, 40 years saying, not in my watch. Yeah. So you have got a, a variable levels of resistance, some of it massive, and some of it is almost disregarded. So what you've got to have is, first of all, that, drive of dissatisfaction and that's not always a logical dissatisfaction it's really powerful as an emotional dissatisfaction because logically you would look at that and say print numbers are going down and the future is people are consuming content online and we've known that for the past 14 years but there's still not enough dissatisfaction in elements of those businesses to go and do what they really need to be doing it's the same yeah. it's the same for us personally There are some beliefs that we are still holding on to for a whole number of reasons, mainly emotional, that hold us back for being, I'm dissatisfied, I'm just not dissatisfied enough. And this is where the healthy dissatisfaction comes in. If you wait long enough to hit the gutter, it's amazing the amount of dissatisfaction you're then going to get. Or if you're a business, You know, you fall behind your projections and your targets. It's amazing how the dissatisfaction gets delivered on an ongoing basis through emails and client feedback. But it's having that healthy dissatisfaction when you're on target, when you're slightly ahead of target, when your relationships are going really well, when everything seems to be quite smooth, would you then have that healthy enough dissatisfaction to say, we're already number one. How could we redefine what number one is going to be in the future? That's healthy dissatisfaction, because it's proactive. It's it's ahead. It's I'm not waiting to things get bad to want them to be better. Anybody can do that. Yeah. The ones who drive forward and make the big changes are the ones that are saying we're doing really well. So this is a really good platform to be saying what would better look like. And the bigger the vision, Warren, the easier for healthy dissatisfaction. Because when the healthy dissatisfaction isn't enough. It tends to be because the vision isn't big enough. If that vision was amazing, absolutely amazing, then what you get is that excitement about that, but also that dissatisfaction of we're not there yet.
0: That makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I guess that's where the healthy is, then, isn't it? It's not that you have to be in a bad place, then. It's just that you can already dream of what what an an even better place looks like. So this is like that good to great idea of (laughs) you, you don't wait until it's bad. You, and the vision, the vision is a
1: future-based motivation. Yes. And that's on a personal level. I work with an awful lot of people, and I get to speak to a lot of people where you have that conversation with them and they will say to you in a hundred different ways, I've kind of done well for myself here. I've done better than I thought I was going to do. I've got further than I thought I was going to do. I never thought I would be doing this or have this family or... Things I never thought things would be actually that. I've done really well. I've done better than people around about me have. And what disappears then is the dissatisfaction.
0: Yeah. Because what they lack is that vision of what even better would look like. And even better, that's a good way of thinking it. And I think we discussed this before, isn't it, about like sports guys who suddenly make it to the top team. They had that thing inside them which was driving them forward and it was that's disappeared. Suddenly they look at themselves and go, Wow, look where I'm playing. Look what shirt I'm wearing. And that important drive suddenly goes and then back down again. Okay. Even better then. Okay. So this is about building out the dissatisfaction and you can do this yourself. And I don't know if we're going to have time to go through all this today, but you can build out all of the emotions and layer them up. And we've talked about that before is how you just can keep building this up and building this up. So that that dissatisfaction in a healthy fashion can get more and more and more important as a, as a motivator. And especially within organizations, this is important.
1: And as a shorthand on how best to drive that healthy dissatisfaction is to avoid the main trap uh, that we all have. Because we typically want to make things better. So we come up with something we're dissatisfied with and we immediately uh, take away the power by saying, Ah, but it could be worse or, but I've got a solution to that or, but you know, but that, that can be fixed. And what you do is you totally negate, you come up with a problem and, and right away you've got a solution. This is listing the things that you want that aren't as you would want them to be without trying to balance it out with the good side of it. This is not a pros and cons. This is really focusing on dissatisfaction know, yeah. what you're really yeah. dissatisfied with without counterbalancing yeah. it with, but it could be worse or it's not that bad. Because all you're doing is you're deflating that balloon of dissatisfaction and that is your engine for making change. So, for instance, just as a shorthand example, if an organisation says, you know, we've got an issue, we don't um, we don't retain talent. So good people leave. Now, if you don't want anything to change, the best thing is to say, is, don't worry, we can fix that. Because right away you go, okay, well, that's great. No the longer they're satisfied with that, that's, that's brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And we're more or less going to keep doing what we're doing. But if a customer says, we're not able to retain the talent, good people leave. If you really want things to change, then you say, well, so what then happens? So what does that affect? What then happens as a consequence of that. You lose good people, good people leave. So how does that affect you attracting people? How does that affect you developing people? Where does the knowledge management go? Where does the continuity go? What does the consistency do? And what you're doing is you're looking at all the consequences of that element of dissatisfaction to the point where you're looking at that and saying we cannot accept this any longer. I agree. We now need to change.
0: Yeah. And the way you talk about it and you, you're layering it out, it can appeal to lots of different motivations. I mean, in, you know, as a shorthand example, like, you know, the costs and the money and, and the, what it does for our competition edge and our profits and shareholders and all that. But as you said, the moment you do that, it, it makes it, why haven't we, do, why, why Why? is it taking us so long to get to this?
1: Yeah. You've got a hundred different reasons why there's no needs to change.
0: Yes, that's exactly. That's
1: as, a, as opposed to, people arguing whether retention is that important or not
0: yes that's a good, 100 different reasons why this has to change and then that becomes so then rather than just moaning about it, the the that issue or you know this this personal habit you've got which you wish you could change then it's imagining what that future could look like would you multi layer up the vision as well like what this would mean if we could
1: what kind of business would we be if we could attract retain and develop top talent you know, what would yeah. that, what that do for us? It. What would it do for our customers or products or services, morale, mental health, energy, confidence, ambition? What would we then aim for? What would we then be able to do? Competitive advantage, continuity, a whole lot of things. And then it's about yeah. that, that last piece of saying, so what's the first thing we could do? But you even put us on a personal level, someone dissatisfied that they arrive home to their partner or their family still thinking about work. Yeah. Now, some folk will say, well, leave your laptop in the office then and, you know, you don't need to worry about it anymore. Or you can say, well, what happens when you go home and you're still thinking about what? How does that affect you? How does it affect your partner? How does it affect that family? Where are you then when good things are going on? What does that do for you? How does that affect your sleep? How does that affect my... How does it affect when you get back into your work? Yeah. How does it affect your relationships? How does it affect the relationships that your partner or your family then describe what you do and what you're like? What happens when you get good ideas or opportunities? What happens when you get the chance to go on vacation or take a weekend away? Now you've yeah. got something a lot bigger that this is now really something to do something about, not something just to learn to live with, not something just to moan about. Because imagine if you went home, then you were really there. Yeah.
0: You're right. And you can just layer that out into so many different things. Like, what would you do with that time? What would you do with your brain space? I mean, you can just go with this wherever you want in, in a way, as long as it's valuable and important to you, that it helps you use that engine that you sort of you talk about the dissatisfaction being the engine. And this is just that beautiful destination. And it, it, these two do work together, don't they? Then the better the for some reason it will help fuel the engine in a you know.
1: Yeah. I, I used to go home shattered and I knew I was dissatisfied with that and and Tracy used to remind me of her dissatisfaction with it as well in case I missed it um so there was there was dissatisfaction there I used to trade that off in my mind by saying but I'm doing something I love and therefore 10 years I continued to do it it wasn't a big enough dissatisfaction and then I used to get people saying to me oh you're still running that business because they would see that I was bringing all those worries and stresses and everything else. And so I never changed anything from that until I then started thinking, wait a minute, I, I love what I do. Why is it like that? Surely there's got to be better than this. And as sometimes can happen, I then saw somebody who looked the way I wanted to look when, when they were doing something they loved. Yes, And that gave me the beginning of a vision saying, wow, what if... What if I could do this in a way that didn't feel like work anymore? What if I could do this in a way that it felt like this beats working? What if I could do this in a way where every day felt
0: like a privilege? It's so powerful, isn't it? This whole idea of that role model—you know, at the moment, you know, with the election, and you've got a, a female vice president—and and, and when you hear people talking about it, you didn't really understand—or for me, I didn't really understand that importance of that this was somebody saying is this is possible that new vision is possible and you're right actually that helps them it gives them permission to update their vision mm-hmm. it's not even crazy this is actually maybe actually i should dream bigger maybe i you know i can i'm allowed to dream bigger now because of those examples around me because it's hard to picture yeah, a future which is made up of ingredients you don't know yeah. are there, aren't they? I mean, But if you
1: true. go looking for them, you'll find them.
0: And then once, yeah. you, once you see that, that
1: bigger vision then helps you be more healthily dissatisfied rather than trading off saying, I'm kind of stressed and not always there, but at least I'm doing something I love doing. And you trade that off and that dilutes the dissatisfaction. Then you see somebody really doing it. you know, And that's where we should be looking for those really good examples to build that vision, particularly when you think you're actually doing really well. Well, go and look what better might look like for you. Yeah. What would matter for you? And that's what helps build that. It's, But it's one of the reasons why, Warren, that people will avoid change, and they'll avoid change by not setting goals because they don't like that dissatisfaction that comes with setting a goal. It makes them feel uncomfortable, discontent, Yes, dissatisfied when everyone else from the outside is saying to you, "You've got it good." What have you got to be dissatisfied about? And that—that's that, where it's your
0: thing. You're right. I mean, on the other side of it, then I think one of the things is—and you're right—that is and, and you are right it is part, it's part is is partly personal. But one of the things I know we've spoken about before is that resistance to change is is understanding this. Fear, it, it, there's a lot of it is fear-based, and that that can be diffused slightly. I mean, some of this, as you said, is just there and you'll probably and, and it makes sense to focus on building the bigger reasons why. And they'll eventually swamp the reasons why not. But there are some simple ways of reducing that, the why nots as well. And that fear yeah. that, that you've spoken about before, I think is an important part of that. And this is the second
1: model we'll cover on this is the okay. the difference between fear of change and frightened of change. Um, Fear is an emotional definition. So you're at one end of the spectrum or the other. You're either at 0% fear, which means you're fearless, or you're 100% fear, which is fearful. And when you're fearful, you'll then not do anything because you'll be frozen by that fear. So if you're 100% fearful of crossing the street, you'll learn to live on the block. Yes. If you're 0% fear, so you're fearless, You'll just walk out into that street without looking. You're a liability to yourself yes. and anybody else with you. But the 99 boxes between zero and 100 are about being frightened. And frightened is a more intelligent definition
0: Yeah,
1: because it makes it specific. And so by specifying the change, you move it from something that you fear into something you're just frightened by or frightened of, but you're frightened of something specific, which means then you can deal with the specifics, as opposed to the fear of the unknown, which there is no progress that you can make from that. You will just be paralysed with it. So looking at change in a way of, you know, unfortunately a lot of people look at change and if there's bits that they're frightened of or bits they're not in control of, they think it must be wrong actually if there's bits that you're slightly frightened of that means you're doing
0: the right things to take away that means you're doing nothing it's that uncertainty isn't it it's that our it's a human desire isn't it for this we 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 want certainty we want surety because there's safety in that and our job as human beings is to stay alive i guess and so the more uncertain things are the less chance that that's going to happen but i think that makes sense is in respect the fear we have, but don't let it dominate us.
1: If, if someone comes to me with a fear of flying, um, then they've not yet specified what it is they're frightened of. So the first thing I'll do with them is say, okay, you've got fear of flying. What specifically are you frightened of? And they're frightened of embarrassing themselves. It's one of the top answers. They're frightened of looking stupid. They're frightened of panicking. They're frightened of frightening other people. They're also frightened of dying. They're frightened of having not had the conversations they should have had with people that they love. They're frightened of not completing the things they promised they would. Yeah. So they're frightened of those things. So what we can do is say, well, what can you do with each of those things? And if you're frightened of panicking, you're on the plane, what can you do before you go on the plane to mitigate that? Otherwise, it's a fear of flying. It's non-specific. It's such an encompassing general thing. You'll be paralysed. You will... Look to avoid that as much as possible, and it's the same with change. Anybody who will talk about a fear of change is because they haven't yet specified the change.
0: I might not like it. I might not have a role. Yeah. I might not be happy. So it's peeling away. Then, what does that? Yeah. So what does that mean then? What is it? And and then in an organisation, this can mean different things for different teams, for different people. Within it. And so when you're dealing with that, then you need to bear in mind that there isn't going to be one reason. Some of it is just going to be, you know, I've been paying my mortgage uh, for the last 20 years and this is how the business is run. And does this, if you change this, yeah, you know, does this mean I'm, I'm, I'm no longer useful, I'm no longer able bought? What happens to where I live, et cetera? Okay. Some people move to the other side of the world. Do you really think they're not frightened?
1: If they're not frightened, they really haven't realized what they're doing. But if, because then they're fearless, then they're a liability. They're probably going to be back in six Seriously. weeks. But the people who never make it to the airport are the ones who are fearful. And, and they're allowing themselves not to make that decision. Okay. So the, the fear of change is to move it into just being frightened of the specifics of change. You will then make more change
0: happen. That makes sense. That takes it away from being, we talked about this with trust as well, this binary thing into something which can be managed. Once you're into the the different shades of uh, the understanding of frighten, you can deal with this almost, you know, you not necessarily make it disappear, but deal with this in a, in a less emotional way. Yeah, Is that look, it?
1: There's, you know, there's always things happening, but, you know, the stuff that's happening just now is, you know, um, something promising a cure to something and other people saying my feed is it doesn't work at all and all this kind of stuff. And it's those, you know, 0%, 100%. It's more likely yes. going to be somewhere in between if you look at it intelligently and objectively. Um, so be frightened of certain things and make your decisions based upon that. And,
0: yeah. that, and that's okay. the same. So whether it's yourself or whether your team or your organization is there is going to be this emotional response to it, help yourself and these people by trying to trying to break this out into intelligently, or not intelligently is probably not the right word, sort of rationally or logically, to bringing your non-emotional brain to bear on this. Okay. So build up the, the, the positive, understand that the resistance, you can only change so much. The best thing to do is to build up all the positive reasons for, for change. The fear and the frightened helps to give you some control over the resistance to change, what's next? Well, you're
1: then into the specifying what change actually looks like. And just in a small point on the resistance, Warren, I wouldn't ask anybody to waste their time trying to adjust the resistance. Accept your resistance, it's yours. Okay. Put the work in where you can affect. All you're going to do is beat yourself up for a level of resistance that you've got, and that's not going to put you in a good enough, strong enough, confident place to go and make the changes. Um, you're entitled to the level of resistance you've got. Um, and, and that's something to then say, well, if my resistance is not high, accept it. Because then you know the level of dissatisfaction, vision and steps you're going to have to create to do it. And put your energy where it's going to be more fruitful. Uh, I really don't want people to be listening and thinking they need to all of a sudden become less resistant to change. Um, you are where you are and that's, you're entitled to that. The next element is of the what you and I would call the percentages of change. Uh, and you and I have worked on this before a number of times. So let's say uh, your best friend comes to you and says, look, Warren, I've got a new job in an industry I've never worked in and a company I've never really dealt with before and they've put me in a position. I've never operated that before. And it's has technical things I really don't have a clue about. Um, and they're moving me to a country I've never even visited before. And I don't speak the language. And this person that I met at a nightclub last week, they and their five kids are coming with me. And we've decided that we're not going to buy a house or rent a house, we're gonna build a house. And I've also decided to give up the alcohol and the cigarettes. Now, as a good
0: friend, Warren, what advice might you? What would I Well the first thing I'd do is I'd ask him for his interview technique because it <laughs> If he got that job, then wow. Um, I wouldn't need to know where he was living if he's given up alcohol and, and he's gonna have five kids running around. What this makes me think of, and straight away, it's part of like the optimal appraisal is you'd actually be looking at and asking him about all of the reasons why what he's already got in the locker. Are gonna mean that he's gonna be he's gonna do the next stage fantastically. And then you know, we'll go through all of all of the optimal appraisal. But that's is is reminding him that actually, whilst this feels like 101 things are gonna be changing, one that he, that not everything is gonna be changing straight away. But I probably would also thinking back to the overwhelm. Is sort of saying, maybe you don't need to do everything at the same time. Maybe we can put this into, in into an order of some kind. So, you know, that's, because that, that that's the concern.
1: You know, you might see, you might want to stay on the booze and the cigarettes for a little bit right. longer, just to take the edge off yeah. things to begin with. Sorry. Because your concern is, if they do everything at the same time, it's going to break. Yeah. And so again, this change is not an event. Change is an ongoing process, and therefore it's about making sure that you've got the percentages of things in the right order to make sure that continual change can be successful. Yeah. And so to take on 100%, it's just going to break. And the likelihood is you end up with a poorer version of what you already had because it's now broken. So if you look at the percentages of change, and if you can imagine a line, a continuum, that's 100%, For successful change to happen, the first 80% must stay the same. Okay. The next 16% must also stay the same, but that can be better, faster, different.
0: Okay. And then that allows you 4% to be new. Okay, so 4% brand new, 16% can be changed improved you know slightly different. but then the 80 percent that's something to keep not not changing too much too much too soon so a bit you can change a little bit some you can change totally okay yeah the four percent but then and i know so when we've done this before suddenly the four percent sounds like oh we're going to be here for for years if we're gonna if this is how long things are going to take Yeah, that's not the point of the 4% to slow things down.
1: No, but this is where a lot of people, but certainly a lot of organisations, get pace and scale confused. If you want to make 100% new, do 4% new an hour, and by tomorrow, it'll be 100% different. But 4% new at a time, 16% improved at a time, and 80% staying the same at the time. So for successful change, you need eighty percent to must stay the same for now. So there might be some things in there that you're going to want to change, but for now they need to stay the same, and that allows you sixteen yeah. percent to improve and make different. What stays the same, and then you've got four percent that's new. And if you really want to speed that process up, then speed the process up, but don't move the four percent and
0: the sixty percent because it will break. So when I th- think about this model recently, what I was remembering is, it's actually what's so strong about it is this way of that 4% suddenly feels, I mean, that's almost the point is it feels too insignificant to make things happen. But it does lead people to think that 80% is staying the same. There's a lot of security. This deals with that resistance to change. It's actually, the future isn't this going to be massively different because there's 80% is going to stay the same. It's going to look like I remember it looks like. It's going to be how it's always been. And then I know that 4% quickly moves into that 80%, and and that's how people adapt to change. And whether, as you said, whether it's done every hour or every day or every month, that 4% could be your whole change programme in in one degree, as long as everybody else can see the 80%, if that makes sense. If
1: I'm I'm of many value... I'm helping people change. So, you know, it's either change or improve or develop or transform, whatever word they want to use. But it's change. If if they're not any different at the end of it than they were at the beginning, then what was it all about? Even if they're more confident in who they are, that's a change. So it's that's what the value is, is is in where it gets to. But that's not where your whole value is. I'm sitting with people and the first 80% of that is getting them to understand what must stay the same. the professionalism, their attention to detail, their compassion, their integrity, their care for people, their sense of humour, their personality, what's important to them, their values, their ethics, their ambition, their attention to detail, their wanting to make a difference, their seeking of balance. Their key relationships, Mm -hmm. their sense of self-worth, their mental health, their well-being, their self-esteem, their mindfulness, their awareness of where they are, their desire to succeed, their willingness to want others to also achieve great things. All of those things must stay the same. Yes, There are certain things that also must stay the same but be a little bit different. So the Level of dissatisfaction of where they are needs to remain, but maybe needs to be expanded a little more to make it more compelling. Their vision for where they want to get to needs to remain, but maybe needs to be more specific and brought to life to make it more motivating for them. The steps they've got in place also need to remain as the steps, but they might need to accelerate up those steps a little bit more to get real momentum going. And also they're taking themselves seriously needs to remain but they maybe need to look at that from a bigger picture point of view so that it's not one thing at the expense of others and then there might be something that they've never done before that I'm now going to ask them to do but by recognizing first of all all the attributes that must stay the same then they'll have they'll be connecting with their confidence security they'll feel recognized appreciated understood and then you've got a confident, secure, understood, valued, appreciated person looking at things they're going to have to do a bit better and something they've never done before. I think that
0: that connecting to all of those internal strengths, qualities, things they know they've got is such a good platform for that for 20% of other of changes, big and small. I think it's such a good way of reminding people that however big they think that 4% is, when it's compared to all the other things that as you said, you're highlighting and connecting them to. Suddenly, the size of that uncertainty goes down. I mean, whether it actually physically goes down or it just goes down relative to to everything else, and it's that fear of the unknown, isn't it? That that whole is quote, you know, we'd rather be unhappy than uncertain. That it's such a big horrible thing, and this just suddenly makes certainty so much bigger than the uncertainty that actually you're okay with it. You can deal with this. This feels. This is something I can deal with quite easily. You've broken it down really nicely. You've nailed it, exactly. It's a platform.
1: It's a confident, secure platform yeah. in which to deal with the exactly. stuff that's uncertain. That's great. So the communication of change, ironically, should start from what must stay the same. Exactly. Otherwise, when you start from the other end of the line and you talk about the thing that is new, no one hears the rest. Because they're into an emotional place of I like or I don't like and they don't hear the rest. Exactly. And so when I go into organisations or I sit down with people and they go, everything's got to, everything's changing. Then I know that no one's really actually pinpointed what needs to stay the same. I've got a, you know a really good example of this of a very senior politician I was asked to go and spend some time with. They were very high profile and we were both under that pressure where I'd been told you should speak to her you and her were on really well. And she'd been told, there's a guy you should speak to. So she got put into a very senior post and was in there. It took about three months before there was any time in the diary. And I get to go in and see her. And she looks kind of stern and I'm feeling not so welcome. No offer of a cup of tea or coffee or anything. Uh, and I sit down with her. And so I say, look, you've now been in post for 12 weeks. How's it been? And she about lots needs to change here. And I said, great. So what needs to change? So she rattled through all these things that needed to change. And I said, "And so why do these things need to change? And she went through all those things of why they need to change. And she was getting quite into a bit of flow and I'm thinking this is going quite well. And I said, look, have you had the time to be able to work out how you're going to implement these changes? And she said, well, come and see this. So we went over to this big boardroom and she rolled out this like big bit of wallpaper with all these Gantt charts and things. And and she said, well, I'm going to lead on this, but I'm going to get such and such. And then we're going to get some cross-party interventions here because I don't want to be the person that did all this and everything else. I said, this is fantastic. And I said, this looks great. In 12 weeks, this is amazing. And I'm thinking, she's happy. This is going great. I'm going to get a tea out of this or a coffee or something. And unfortunately, then I asked that additional question. I said to her, well, with all these things that need to change, what needs to stay the same? And she just stared at me. And I was uncomfortable and I thought, better repeat the question. So, what needs to change? And she said, I heard you. And then she said, everything else, of course.
0: And so often, that is how we are. And she's really good. So often that's how we approach standing up in front of a crowd. When you've been working on transformation projects and all of this, as you know, you you forget. You're just so excited about that four percent that that's your headline, isn't it? You know, you you want to start with this, and say, you'll never believe what we're doing. And it's again, you know, thinking back to football. Uh, analogies, as always, you know, when teams go up into the Premiership and they spend all this money on trying to change everything in the past, and it is just this sort of step by step. I remember one of our favourites, Alex Ferguson. I remember when he bought Dwight York, and it was a win. It's a winning team, and everyone's saying is he's always developing the winning team. But I just used to think that for that 80% of everything staying the same is this was something new and exciting for them all to, to get used to. And it helped with that 16% because it made them think about stuff in a different way. Not necessarily. I was thinking that at the time, but it was just that, just a small little difference. And then every, every, you know, every few couple of months, another kid would be introduced into the team slowly, slowly, slowly. It makes so much sense. But that reconnecting everyone, why that 4% isn't anything to be feared, because look at all of the stuff that we're doing this on. Look at all the things we've already been good at. I was discussing this recently with a company which is in one particular branch and they're trying to get into other ones. And it's, this is big. And it's like, oh, look at all the things you're good at. Tell me all the things you, you already do really well. And suddenly it was, the change was really very, very small about what they had to do because it was actually going back, to, as you said, to core values. And so reconnecting to that confidence and even their purpose, it actually ended up doing almost uh, feeling a bit more like an admin exercise rather than a huge strategic change, which is still a strategic change. But the level of confidence of their ability to deal with it, to handle it, to deal with the fallout, the anticipation of there will be unknown things which will happen and fall out of this, they seem to have a different level of confidence about I think it's and great. this
1: is an individual in their personal journey. An individual listening to this, and there's an awful lot of people who will, you know, go down the self-help and self-improvement road of what's the four percent, what's the sixteen percent, yeah, and therefore they are insecure, unstable people looking at new things, as opposed to building on that confidence and security. What am I good at already? And this is where self-development differs because self-development looks at all the things that you're really good at and strong at. And then from there, that 80% then approaches the 16 and the 4% because that will make the 16 and the 4% less challenging because you're coming at that from a place of confidence. And you're defining your way of doing things really, really well so it's authentic and consistent yeah. rather than adopting some would-be guru's advice. You know, this is, or someone else's success story, which is a genuine success story for someone else. Not necessarily your story. Your story is the one that really matters to you. And if you understand the first 80% of that story, then you're looking at advancing. The bit I would take, and I've had this pushback from companies and individuals, is that for some, they look at the 16 and the 4% from that platform of knowing what needs to stay the same. And they say, that gives me confidence and that gives me uh, security and being able to do that i love that there's others that will say but 16 and 4 percent isn't that exciting and this is where it's moving into the dissatisfaction within that 80 percent of things that must stay the same for now there'll be bits in there that you really want to change yeah but for now they must stay the same so if you really really want to have the exciting i want to change everything then rattle through this as quickly as you can. Get the pace, but with the right scale. Because unfortunately, what some people think is you're putting a definitive 4%, a definitive 16, and that 80 will always be the 80. Once you have put that 4% something new in place, that then becomes something that must now stay the same, which allows you that additional capacity to say, what now do we want to improve? Or what now do we want to
0: replace with something new? Yeah that's that's good isn't it? So, I mean you that whole of that 20% you know I've got sort of different boxes and shades and colors in my mind at the moment that 20% shifts back across and then you get to deal with another 20% so you can get to look at everything within yeah you know, five iterations I guess okay and then the last model is one I'm curious about because you mentioned it and I genuinely have gone through my memory banks trying to think I I mean said so, some of them, some of these, I enjoy going back to revisiting. But cupcakes, yeah. I, I mean, are you trolling me? Is this just you're just I, thinking? I, like, I I'm going I'm to keep. I'm going to keep him awake at night now. This yeah. will be. This will be what He'll be thinking, what? What have I? What he, have I forgotten? When you create a lot of content, and I've been doing this for over twenty years,
1: <laughs> it's so you get amazed at something that you came up with, and it was just a way of illustrating, so that you could. Uh, give something that people can take away and make their own because that's the big thing I've never had that approach and this is where coaching and self-development and self-coaching all that kind of stuff comes together is that you want people to go and make this their own not to always have to come back to you as you're the guy with the answers no you're the guy with the questions you know and frameworks to get them to think and come up with their own stuff and that's and so you create some stuff which is you want it to be kind of memorable and stuff and you know, the 8016 4 is a conversation that I can have in boardrooms all over the world and everybody knows what we mean. And it's in and, and that, you think, ah, oh, this is great. Cupcakes is the one that makes everybody smile, which is great. And people, and it's memorable. And I've still yet to meet anybody who doesn't like cupcakes. Still had a few people who wouldn't admit to it, but I haven't really met anybody who really doesn't like cupcakes. But the point of the cupcake is there is three parts to it. You've got the sponge, then you've got icing, and you've got a cherry on top. And I use this to illustrate in change and in goal setting. A lot of people, because change and goal setting can be very strongly linked, a lot of people won't make the change because there's no guarantee it's going to work. So I want to change my career and the outcome is that is I find a career that's fulfilling and I love and it beats working but I'm currently in a job that I feel is a job. Yeah. Now, even by deciding I'm going to make a change to that, what I get is the the sponge part of the cupcake right away because what I do is that's me communicating. I can do better. I'm up for something else. I'm open to new opportunities. I'm confident I can get something. I'm good enough to get better. I'm not settling for this There is something out there. I want to be active. I want to own this. I want to shape it. I want to influence it. Even just by deciding I'm going to make that change, I've got the benefit of the sponge. Then the icing bit of the cupcake is the things that then occur. Because I'm in this role and I want to get to something that's more meaningful and purposeful for me, I then have conversations. I then do some research. I go and look at stuff. I speak to other people. I have meetings. I go to events. I watch different things, I take in different things, I learn different things. Even if I never reach that high meaning, high purposeful role that I've got in my mind, even if the cherry is not there, I have gained so much from the sponge and the icing. But so often, because the cherry isn't guaranteed, we throw away the sponge, the chance of the sponge and the icing. Okay. That makes sense? Yeah. I had a client who, a media client, massive global organization who had the chance to launch two new apps. And the cherry on it was the answer is yes, if you can guarantee X amount of tens of thousand subscribers within a 90-day period. And because nobody could guarantee the cherry, it didn't happen. And yet if they had said, we're going to go for this, They would have communicated an awful lot of things. They would have showed ambition, confidence, ingenuity, everything else. Meetings would have happened. Technology would have been discovered, a whole lot of things, even if they hadn't had the number of subscribers within that defined time. And unfortunately, with no guarantee of Cherry, they didn't even have sponge or icing. The change, and the same as goal setting, but change, the value is not just in the Cherry. Yes. It's not just in the destination, it's in the journey. It's not just in the cherry, it's in the sponge
0: and the icing also. Yeah, that makes sense. Again, it, it makes me think about our last chat as well, about the optimal appraisal is there is going to be value. I was discussing doing a pilot with somebody recently. When you do a pilot, you know, it's so really easy to say, is this, is it going to work or is it not? And They say there's strategic value in this as well. We're learning how to work together. We're learning what, definitely doesn't work and we're learning some things that could work. and that's that uh, that came comes from that idea of the optimal appraisal, isn't it is there's not there's no good nor bad. it's just some which is useful when when framed in the right way and and you're right. so even if fifty percent of these change programs fail it doesn't mean that they didn't have a hugely positive impact on the organization if the company was was strong enough to appreciate this, you know we try to do this didn't work out exactly what we wanted, but now we do know certain things. Yeah, Because it's a continual process.
1: The only failure is not to have started. It's the only failure. As long as you go for that, then failure is not a fear anymore. Even if you create results you didn't expect, even if you think a destination was actually just a stop point to where you now really want to get to, because sometimes it's when you get closer that you realise what you really want, and it might not be that but you're realising that because you're on the journey. It's the thing I would ask everybody and anybody to do is get on the journey with change. And if the thing that's holding you back is the fear of losing or leaving stuff behind, take it with you, but get on the journey. Go and discover. Otherwise, you can sit back and wait till someone tells you what they think is good enough for you next.
0: So there we have it, a quick run through of change. As we said, it's a massive topic. We've covered a little bit of it. Some good stuff came out of this. I thought it was good. thought it was interesting. Some good themes. Nothing lasts forever. Good or bad. That's an important thing to remember. I think it was Churchill who said, everything will be all right in the end. <laughs> it's just when is the end? So whatever we're going through, good or bad at the moment, do know that it will change. I think it's important. I did love the line that transformation programs in companies are just a public admission that they haven't been changing enough before. I think that's important. Is If change isn't in your DNA as a person, as a team, as a company, then eventually you will become stuck and you will therefore need to do something dramatic like a big transformation program. The formula... Let's call it a formula, makes it sound a bit too mathy, but of healthy dissatisfaction, vision, and having clear first steps are the key to overcoming resistance to change. We've all got a place in this. So dissatisfaction can be healthy dissatisfaction. It doesn't have to be when we're at the bottom. It can be when we're in a good place and we want to make it better. We want to get to a great place. So looking for better or looking for even better is an important step on healthy dissatisfaction. So you don't need to be at the end of the queue looking into a big abyss, looking at a big sales miss, looking at the competition, running away with it. This can be done from a position of strength and I think that was important. And that having a compelling big vision helps that. If you can present a plan to people of what even better could be, could feel like, then it's easier for people to get to a state of healthy dissatisfaction. Fearful, fearless, and frightened. This is a good topic. I think we'll have to pick this up another time. But I do like the idea that it's something that can be controlled and managed, something which can be intelligently dealt with rather than sort of emotionally binary. So we'll definitely come back to that. In the 80, 16, and 4, is a good model to look at. And I do remember the first time I heard it, I did think this was a bit conservative. But actually, it is about starting with that 80, especially in communication, reconnecting people to things that are going to remain the same, to strengths. It helps them understand and, and be less fearful or frightened of what's coming next, of that 4%, of that 16%. It's a solid platform. It gives them confidence. And yeah, Very quickly, you can do the 16 and the 4%. So dramatic change is still possible. As Stephen says, it's about pace and scale. The cupcake at the end? Yeah, this is good. And I think this is important, that you don't necessarily have to complete the program to get the benefits of it. And as we all know, sometimes when you start off on big programs, you don't actually get to the predefined goal, but you can still get massive returns and massive wins from it. I think that's what the cupcake theory is about, which is good. Anyway, that's it. This was a longer episode, but I hope you've still got... I hope you're still here. hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you're listening to this on your bike, run or run, apologies. If you had to do an extra lap, maybe that's a good thing. If there's any thoughts, there's any questions, as always, get in touch. It's podcast at coachpro.online. If you want to see more about Stephen's work... check out his website as well coachpro.online anyway i'm off remember so change is up to you if not now then when talk to you next time bye